Thanks for joining me. This is Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm doing two podcasts a week, just a reminder. So uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays, I'm aiming for those two days. Uh, I hope I don't forget. But I'll try to release uh, two podcasts every week. The book I wanted to look at today, um, I forgot. I, I have it on my shelf, and somehow I overlooked it. So I haven't uh, discussed it at all yet. It's called So What's the Difference? And this one is an updated and expanded version of it. Let's see what the date is on this one. Uh, this is 2001, so they may even have a, a newer edition uh, yet. And according to the front cover here, they've sold over 1 million copies, and I can see why. This book uh, looks at 20 worldviews or faiths, religions, and how they compare to Christianity. So it's got Buddhism and Mormonism and humanism, witchcraft, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, and on and on. So I can't tell you how many times I've used this. This has been a wonderful book for me. It's obviously, because it covers so many, it uh, is a kind of a quick look. You're not going to get tons of depth, but it gives you such clear overviews that it's really worthwhile and at the end of each chapter, they always compare Christianity to whatever that worldview or whatever religion it is that they're talking about. So, oh, by the way, the author is Fritz Ridenauer. Okay, so Fritz Ridenauer, uh, he writes, uh, he's got something like four million, 4 million copies of his books are in circulation. I like one of the titles, How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. <laughs> That's a good title, something we can all think about. All right, so what I wanted to do today, because I've presented Buddhism in one of our apologetics classes, so I wanted to see how Ridenauer covers it. Um, this is chapter 7 in his book. And I like the opening of uh, his chapter here because he says it's not the same as Hinduism and it actually points to an individual founder and it actually has a date for its beginning. His chapter starts out uh, pointing out a difference between Hinduism and Buddhism. He says, unlike the Hindu religion, the Buddhists can point to an individual founder and can actually go back to a particular date for its beginnings. So he talks about Siddhartha Gautama born around 560 B.C., says uh, close to the border of India. I guess right now it's called Nepal. It's very close to India. And he gives a little background of the, the man, uh, Siddhartha, here. And I think it's it's fascinating story. He Apparently, when he was born, there was some kind of seer who said he'll become the greatest ruler in human history and that if he discovered or if he ever saw four things— Sickness, old age, death, and a monk could renounce the world. If he ever saw those things, he'd give up what he was doing and discover a way of salvation for all mankind. Well, the father, Gautama's father, didn't want his son getting involved in things like that, so he built a palace for his son and made sure that no sick or elderly or any dead bodies nor a monk would be allowed near the palace. So he grew up protected from the world. Now, how much of this is truth? I don't know. And he later married a beautiful uh, lady. But it says one day when he was riding through the park that was around his palace, he saw an old man who had all sorts of sores. He saw a man who was tottering with age. He saw a corpse being carried to its grave. And then number four, he saw a begging monk who appeared to be happy. Well, as he thought about these things, he thought about that monk and the fact the monk had nothing. And yet he had this peaceful look about him. And he thought, there's got to be more to life than this palace. I've been living a life of luxury. So he just took off, left his wife, left his child, left the palace forever. 
So he wanted to solve the riddle of life. So he became a monk, and he wandered the countryside as a beggar. And he couldn't find any satisfaction in the Hindu scriptures. He tried to find his salvation through self-denial. He starved himself, just became a walking skeleton, but he wasn't happy doing that either. So he's seen the rich side of life, and he's seen the poor side of life. Finally, he sits under a tree for 40 days and 40 nights, and he swore to himself that he would not leave until he found what he was searching for. And at the end of the 40 days, he reported a degree of God consciousness, and it's called nirvana, which means blowing out of the flame of desire and the negation of suffering. He felt that he'd found salvation. So from that point on, when he starts collecting followers, he was known as Buddha, meaning the enlightened one. So he went back to the world of man, began to teach and, and preach about the way to nirvana. And he gathered monks around him and said when he died something like 45 years later, many thousands had already adopted his teachings. Okay, so then what Ridenauer does in the next part of the book, which I think is really good, he talks about how it differs from Hinduism. It evolved from Hinduism, but it, it differed. So it says, in fact, uh, many of the Hindu uh, dominant teachers rejected Buddha's teachings. They called it heresies. Why? Well, he denied that the Vedas and the Upanishads were divine writings. He said, they're no help. They don't get you to nirvana. He also said, man does not have a soul, part of the world's soul. And he believed the world was real. It wasn't um, a made-up thing. It was not an illusion. That's what the Hindus call maya. Well, he believed the world was real. Other things that he rejected when it came from Hinduism, he rejected the priesthood of the Brahmins. He rejected the Hindu sacrificial system. He thought ethics were far more important than ritual. He rejected that famous caste system of India. And he said anybody, including women, can reach enlightenment, not just Brahmin males. And he got rid of these indifferent Hindu gods and goddesses, basically saying they're not important. If you're going for enlightenment, you don't need to worry about them. So he's not necessarily an atheist, although there's no need and no reference to God in his teachings. Now, he did accept the Hindu teaching on reincarnation and karma, that your soul would either gain some good things or bad things based on how you live your life. And then uh, he taught that one could be reborn as a human, maybe an animal, a ghost, even as a Hindu god. He also incorporated yoga and meditation, and they were big deals in Hinduism as well, and he put that into his teachings. Well, one of Buddha's most important teachings was the theory of what he called the middle way. He felt that he had seen sensuality and money and pleasure and that palace, and that wasn't the way to get anywhere as far as enlightenment. And then he saw asceticism was part of that, and that wasn't the, the right way either. So he said there's a middle way. And to describe this middle way, he offered what have been known now as the Four Noble Truths. One is, suffering is universal. It's, it's all over the place. And the only way you get out of that, as you come back again and again in reincarnation, you want to get out of it, you need salvation. That's to get released from this cycle of suffering. So number one, suffering is universal. Number two, what causes suffering? Desire. We're stuck in these desires we want so much. We want health. We want wealth. We want status. We want physical comfort. Number three, how do you cure this? Pretty obvious. 
if, you, if we're dealing with this problem, how do we deal with it? You overcome ignorance and you eliminate craving. You've got to get rid of craving. Well, how do you do that? So far, yeah, I think most Christians would say he's pretty right on in these first three issues. Number four is where Christianity and, and uh, Buddhism part ways, definitely. You suppress your craving. Remember, the problem is we, we've got this desire down deep, and if we eliminate this desire, we'll be okay. How do we do that? You follow the middle way, and it's an eightfold path. So he had a system he worked out. And how does a Buddhist go along this way, this desire, get rid of desire? It's, it's eight ways of right living. You have to have the right viewpoint, aspiration, speech, behavior, occupation, effort, mindfulness, and meditation. So he says, if you can follow this eightfold path, you're eventually, that's kind of interesting, not soon, but you eventually will reach nirvana and you'll be released from this cycle of death and rebirth and suffering and death and rebirth. Now the catch was, Buddha was asked to define the state of nirvana. He said, he never really tried to solve this question. He said his mission was to show people the way to avoid the suffering, but not to tell them what they might encounter once they had been liberated. All right, here's another section of his book. He talks about major branches of Buddhism, and I think I'm going to go over that pretty quickly. I'm just going to mention briefly there's uh, Theravada Buddhism, and with that one, it's pretty depressing. It basically says to lay people, your only hope is to rise just to a higher level when you get reborn to become a monk. That's about it. Well, then there's Mahayana Buddhism, and that teaches that nirvana is available to everyone. And the responsibility is yours, but the Mahayana group developed the idea of savior gods. Bad, I'll probably mess this up. Bodhisattva. Okay, probably way off from that, but they say you have these saviors there that can help you out. You also have a form of uh, Buddhism that's part of the Mahayana Buddhism in the West. It's Zen. And that idea is basically a lot of meditation and you gain enlightenment that way. There's a third major division of Buddhism. It's called Tantrism. Now it takes that Mahayana Buddhism again and mixes it up with some occult practices of Tibet. So you, if you're involved with that, you have incantations, you have occultic signs, uh, there's some animism involved where you attribute conscious life to inanimate objects or objects in nature. And uh, it's pretty scary because you can end up with a lot of demonic activity. The next section that uh, Ridenauer gets into is obviously he wants to compare Buddha's teachings with the Bible. And this is the part that I think is really strong Buddha says that he found a way, but Jesus said he is the way. So how do these two claims compare with each other? Well, Buddha says, if you're going to live, you're going to suffer. And it's ignorance and it's craving that's going to do it. And of course, the Bible agrees. There's a lot of suffering, and it certainly can be from misplaced desire. But down deep, the Bible says there's a different reason for suffering. We suffer because, and you can fill in the blank, what's the Christian reason we suffer? sin. It's in Romans 8. We have put our desires ahead of God's. We have rebelled. We're trying to live independently of God. We, we have chosen to honor ourselves more than God, and we suffer tremendously for it. Then Buddha says, well, suffering comes from craving. You're, you're desiring something. You're trying to attach to something, and all desire was bad. You had to get rid of it. 
But, you know, the Bible says that, sure, there are bad desires, but there are good ones. We're encouraged to have desire for God, for instance, and desire for his kingdom to, to be here. We see that in Matthew 6. As for bad desires, we read in James uh, 1, chapter 1, that we're enticed from within. It's our own lusts. And we yield to temptations, then we sin, and that spins us into terrible suffering and death. So there is selfish desire, but we certainly degree, disagree as Christians with the Buddhist way to remove the desire. Because what do the Buddhists say? The only way to rid yourself of selfish desire, self-effort. Where have we heard that before? Well, I would say every other religion. It's always down to we save ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I know myself pretty well. There's no way I'm going to be able to save myself. For, it says for the Buddhists, though, these followers have tried to stay on that eightfold path, but they're not recognizing, like Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's going to sabotage us. It's going to waylay us and surprise us and ambush us and mess us up big time. We need a higher source of strength, not just ourselves. But remember, Buddha is pretty agnostic on the idea of God. He just kind of ignores the whole idea of help from God. But Paul, if you look in Titus 3, he says, Every Christian used to be a slave to desire, but that Christ came into the world as God and as man to give us that strength to overcome our desires. So without the help of God, the only way to end desire is to die. But the good news, and he's got several Bible references here, we can become new creatures. We can die figuratively at least, to our selfish desires. John 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Galatians 2. So right at the end of the chapter, his point is that Christianity goes beyond Buddhism. Uh, after all, Jesus promises to give us personal strength through the Holy Spirit. That's what we have. The Buddhists do not have that. To live that kind of God-pleasing life. And I'll give you specific references to that. John 16, verses 7 to 15, Romans 8, and Galatians 5. Take a look at those because we're promised outside strength to deal with our problems, and the Buddhist does not have that. Um, Ridnour points out that Christ shares in the life of the true believer, and he gives his followers power and authority to fight off the desires that we have. So, I like the ending here, what he does as far as the value of Christianity. I mean, I feel really sorry thinking about these Buddhists that are working so hard. And I just know human nature. I've lived long enough. I know myself. We're, we're uh, rebels. We're failures. We're not going to be able to do it ourselves. We can try. Everybody can try. Uh, Buddha says, you have to make the effort. Christ says, turn ourselves over to him and he'll give us the power. So Jesus doesn't give a, a list of commandments and orders to obey. He promises he's going to help the Christian grow and change and develop, and that's powerful. So the very end of the chapter, Ridenour offers this as a challenge, basically. We all have to face a choice. We either do self-effort or we yield everything to Christ, and that's exactly right. So is there a big difference between Buddhism and Christianity? Yes, there's a personal God, according to Christianity. He cares about us. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's the unique Son of God. He died for us. He'll be there to empower us. Regarding sin and salvation, Buddha say sin is lust that you get, and you just have to get rid of it by self-effort. 
And Christians say, well, sin is anything that's contrary to God's will, and we need salvation outside of us through faith in what Christ has already done. And then the glorious ending to the chapter here, through faith and the working of the Holy Spirit, God transforms our desires so that we can be more in conformity with, with what he wants. And Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 talk about that. So it ends on a very powerful, comforting thought about Christianity. Well, uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I, I think it's a terrific book. Fritz Rittenauer, sorry, Fritz Rittenauer is the author. So what's the difference is the title. I would consider this book as an essential part of your library. Uh, easy to read, short enough to get through. Uh, we've got footnotes and um, places you can go for additional help. So it's a good book. Well, thanks for listening. We'll do another podcast really soon. Again, my aim is to try to do two of these a week. Thanks.